Point. How's everybody doing this morning? It's so good to see you this morning. It's so good to be up here on stage. It is always such an honor to be up here. It blows my mind every time they let me uh, come up here and uh, speak to you and teach. It's, it's just awesome. Uh, I'm, I, you know, Matt says that I am the only person that he knows that his country's accent gets thicker and worse when I teach. Um, so, you know, I am who I am. It just is what it is. So, super, super glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, you know, usually when I'm up here, um, before I speak, I usually give some kind of plug about the youth. And so, let me just say, like, our youth right now, LPY, is just doing incredible things. just amazing on Wednesday nights. I mean, in the, yeah, absolutely. Round of applause for our youth. I mean, in, in the last year, you know, we, we have literally pretty much doubled our attendance on Wednesday nights. And it's not because of me. It's because I have an incredible team that helps me. It's because of y'all. And uh, also because just God's doing incredible things and blessing us on Wednesday nights and, and what we do here at, at uh, LifePoint during our youth ministry. So super, super proud of those guys. With this suit up uh, new series that we've been doing, you know, we started brainstorming what could we do with students for this series. And so what we did is sort of the second gathering, we created this like student section just like at a football game. And then we also, this is Justin Brown. I can't take credit for this idea. It was actually his idea. We also started what I think is probably the greatest thing, my funnest thing that we have done so far in youth. And that was, we started creating these fat heads for the staff. Uh, you know, I know when I was a kid, I had this huge fat head on my wall of Troy Palomalu. It was awesome. So what we did is we started, ta- or what Justin has done is he's taken, we've taken the faces of staff members and put them on to other people's bodies throughout this entire series. It's been absolutely awesome. So I think Desiree and Marley is going to reveal to you this week's fat head or staff fat head. So y'all just come, go ahead and come on up and reveal to the world for the first time this new staff fat head. <laughs> that is probably my favorite one. I have always wanted to know what Terry and Lynn's head would look like on Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift's body. <laughs> and then we have, you can just sit right there or whatever. Hey, so uh, let me also say too, um, as a plug also, I, a lot of people don't realize this. Our, our youth is very well known. What might not be as known to you is that we also do what's called LP College. So I'm also over that, and what LP College is, is it's a kind of a college ministry. You don't have to be in college to participate. You just have to be college age, which is 20-somethings. Uh, and we usually meet on Sunday nights at 5.30 at my house, and that what we usually do is like a fire. We eat and then do Bible study as well. And it's really, really cool. It's super, super relaxed. Uh, it's a very chilled vibe and atmosphere. So if you are a student or you are of college age, then come see me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about how to get you involved in that and uh, be a part of a a community uh, to feed into your spiritual growth as a college-aged individual um, as well. So, you know, again, you don't have to be in college. A lot of the people who come on Sunday nights, you know, they're in their career. They're not in college at all. So don't think that you have to be in college in order to participate in LP College. But I wanted to put that out there before we got going um, this morning, but we, like we said, like I said, we have, uh, we're in this suit up series, uh, and when we as a staff were trying to brainstorm and go through, like, what theme do we want for this series, we landed on this football theme, so we wanted the atmosphere of the church to kind of be like you're at a football game or something like that, and 
ever since then, what it, it sparked this memory in my mind of my first time when I played football, the first time that I went out on the field. The first play that I ever played as a football player. I played um, wide receiver on offense and then safety and linebacker on defense. More defense than offense as you're about to see. But um, my first time vividly is burned into my head when I went out onto the field. So let me give you the, the backdrop, the context of what happened. So it's like fourth and two. We're on the goal line, okay? There's very little time left. I can't remember what the score was, but we were losing We needed a touchdown. And for whatever reason, reasons I can't grasp, the coach decides, I'm going to put Clay in for this pivotal moment of the game. And so he comes up to me. He says, all right, son, listen, it's fourth and two. Need you to go out there and get after it. Here's the play. He says, it's blue swing, left, slant. Okay, let me translate that for you. Blue swing means nothing. Left means you're going to be a wide receiver and line up on the left side of the ball. And then slant means you're just going to run a slant route, which means I'm going to line up, run three steps, slant into the end zone. He's going to throw me the ball. I'm going to catch it. Touchdown. Clay's a hero, right? So this is going to be awesome, like awesome. So I, I run out there, and I get in the huddle, and they're all looking at me, waiting for the play. And while they're all looking at me, I realize I'm the only wide receiver here, which means I'm the only option for the quarterback. The only option, which means I am going to get the ball, right? So I'm standing there, and they're all looking at me, and I say, all right, here's what he said. Blue swing, left slant. Oh, sweet. Great, and we go off. So I line up, and I go stand on my spot. Wait, he snaps the ball, and when he snaps the ball, I slam into that defender and give the best run block you have ever seen in your entire life. Like that dude did not know what hit him. And I'm, I'm like, yes, sir, I'm killing it. It's my first time. Boom. Like I nail him, blocking the snot out of him. And I'm thinking like, here in a second, the running back's going to come back around. He's going to score. It's going to be amazing. And then, as I'm thinking all this, as I'm blocking this dude, at the corner of my eye, up here, I see the ball. Goes over my head and hits the ground. Reverie blows the whistle. And like, it's turnover on down, so we all start trotting off him. Like, what just happened? Like, I don't, what in the world? Why did he do that? It was dumb. And I get about halfway back to the sideline, and I lock eyes with our coach, and he he says nothing to me. He just, he's looking at me like this. Like, with despair and disappointment in his eyes that you cannot even comprehend. Probably for himself for thinking, why did I put that kid in? But also, it was simple. All you had to do was run a slant, and you're going to score. It's going to be amazing. And then it dawns on me. You're an idiot. You weren't supposed to block that dude. You were supposed to run a slant, catch the ball, and be a hero and be awesome. And the reason I tell that story is I think that that might be a really good illustration for the way we are sometimes in our Christian walk. See, that run block was phenomenal. It was great. Like the best run block I probably have ever had in my life. But the problem was, that wasn't my purpose. That wasn't what I was out there to do at the time. That wasn't supposed to be my main focus. And I think that's where we're at in our Christian walk sometimes. What Satan does, what he's really, really good at, is distracting us with all kinds of good stuff to distract us away, to get our focus off of our main mission our main purpose. 
See, he'll do this in all kinds of different ways. Like, like we, we'll, we'll like develop this to-do list as Christians. We'll be like, oh, I gotta, I'm, I'm, we're doing real good. We're going to church every Sunday. Like we're, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Bible studies. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying every night. I'm trying real hard to be a good father. I'm trying really, really hard to be a good, good mother there for my kid. And like we build up all these stuff, all good stuff that we should be doing, that, that are good things to do. And he will use that because he's a master deceiver to distract us away from keeping the main thing, the main thing. Distracting us away from the one thing that all of that will naturally flow out of. And that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, more realistically probably for us, is he'll distract us with all kinds of bad stuff. And that's what ruins us most. Like, like he'll, 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 he'll whisper in our ears and distract us by saying something like, have you noticed? Have you noticed that car down the street that your neighbor has and you don't have? Have you noticed? It's a, it's a wonderful summer day. Like, all these people are going to the state park and camping and you don't have a camper. Like, you, you probably need to plunge yourself into debt and buy, so you can get like, or, 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 or let's go deeper. And say stuff like, have you noticed that man? Or that woman at your workplace? She's way prettier than your wife. He's way more handsome than your husband. And he will distract us with all of these things. Because his main purpose, he wants to do, is to get our minds off of the main point. The whole purpose. And I think that's why Paul gives the whole armor of God. And we're talking about Siri right there. and It it did change. I don't know why we got Siri up here in the top right corner. Hello there, I'm Siri. What can I do for you? Go away. That's what you can do. But it won't. It'll just stay there, okay? But Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I think the reason why Paul does this is because we naturally, we think, we we really do think that we have what it takes to stomp the devil, to resist his temptations, resist his distractions, and we think, well, I'm ready for him. Like, I can take him. And we can't. Like, you've got to understand that Satan is profoundly powerful. He is incredibly smart. And he knows what he's doing. He's been around for a whole lot longer than we have. And he knows just exactly what he needs to say and just exactly what he needs to do to distract us and mess with us. And so Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not your own. He keeps going. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil are coming. That's what, this is what Paul is trying to get across to us. Like, if we act like the devil's not there, that does not mean he's not. He is coming. And he will certainly, he's got a whole band of demons, legions of demons who are doing his bidding and will do what they can to destroy us and to harm us and to tempt us and distract us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan will do what he can to distract us into thinking that each of us, we are each other's problems. If we don't know our enemy, then we won't have a game plan to defeat him. That's what Matt talked about when he did this armor of God. We have to understand that Satan is against us. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You want to be able to stand firm in the day of the devil? When the devil comes for you and does what he does best, if you want to be able to withstand him, it's that you, you don't just try hard. It's not that you try really, really hard to resist him. Instead, you put on God's armor. And then Paul goes in to explaining to us what that armor is. He says, Stay there, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is the armor of God, Paul? Tell me what the armor of God is. It says, well, here's what it is. There's the belt of truth. Then also, hey, there's this breastplate of righteousness that we put on. We've already talked about those in the last previous weeks. And then this week, the armor that we're talking about this morning comes down to these shoes. Like he says, put on these shoes that are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so here were my, here's my initial question when I started reading this and trying to figure out what Paul's talking about is, why does he choose shoes? Like what is significant about shoes? I, again, the belt of truth, I get that. Yeah, we got to hold our pants up, all that good stuff. Like, I get that. Breastplate of righteousness, yeah, the, an arrow can't go through. That makes sense. What is so special about shoes? Like, they don't even make any, like, I don't understand. And, and the more I got to thinking about it, it started to remind me of something of when I was a teenager. So, because I think some people know this. Most people probably don't. But I think when I was, I think I was, when I was 16, I went an entire year without wearing shoes, okay? An entire year without wearing shoes. You ask me why, I don't know, okay? I'm just telling you that I did. And, and let me tell you something. If you go a year without wearing shoes, you'll learn a whole bunch of stuff about your feet, right? It's incredible. Like when I first started, like I would walk on gravel like this because it hurt really bad. By the time that that year was up, I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, like it's no big deal because the bottom of my feet got like super calloused, super hard. And I could like, I would walk through the woods and, oh, there's a thorn. Let me pull that out, you know. And it was no big deal. Let me tell you, what was a big deal though? In that year, I bet I got a poison ivy on the bottom of my feet no less than seven times. That is rough. Let me just tell you, I, what I would do is I'd find me a couch somewhere and I'd just like, I'd scratch it like for 30 minutes just sitting there rubbing my, because it was the only relief that you could possibly get. Why in the world? Like what, what's the point of that? Because as interesting as that was for me, look, I, I did learn the importance of shoes in that year. Because shoes are not there just necessarily to protect your feet. They are that. But even more so, like shoes are there to give you an advantage in certain situations and climates to do what you need to do. Like they have a grip on the bottom of them for different purposes. Like if you're a rock climber, they literally make rock climbing shoes. If you want to run trails, there's trail running shoes. If you want to hike, there's hiking boots and hiking shoes. Like there's all kinds of different shoes for the, where the bottom of them is conducive for what it is, whatever it is that you're doing. And Paul, I think he uses these words, these, these words shoes and describes the gospel of peace this way because he's also pulling from this imagery that's given by these Roman soldiers. Because these Roman soldiers had all this armor on. They would also put like these spikes on the bottom of their feet, on the bottom of their boots, so that they could dig into the ground in battle. 
kind of like cleats today. Like, I'm going to put on cleats so that I can run faster and quicker and not slip. They would put spikes on the bottom of their shoes so that when the enemy came at them and tried to knock them down, they would have a firm footing. And they would be able to stand firm when the enemy was coming at them. They would be able to fight and not slip, not stumble and not fall. And I think that is why Paul uses this word, these, these shoes, this illustration of shoes to illustrate this gospel of peace. What Paul is telling us is if we want to stand firm, if we want to have good footing when the enemy comes at us, when he comes and he tries to distract us, when he comes and he tries to tempt us, what we have to do is make sure that we have good enough shoes on so that we don't stumble and fall when he attacks us. Because if you don't have shoes on, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall down. He is going to win. So what are those shoes? He's not talking about just some arbitrary footwear. Instead, he's using an illustration. He says the shoes that you need to put on in order to stand firm is the readiness of the gospel of peace. Well, what is the gospel of peace? Actually, Paul, several chapters earlier, explains it, explains it to us. In Ephesians 2, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Our firm footing comes from the shoes of the gospel of peace. And Jesus is the gospel of peace, which is our firm footing. If we want to withstand the enemy, if we want to withstand Satan and his schemes, and when he comes at us and tries to attack us, it's not that we try hard. It's not that we work really hard to try to like figure things out and do what we need to do. It's instead that we lean and we, our foundation is on the firm footing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the gospel. It is the gospel that literally solves everything for us and helps us understand that we are now with God. So think about this. I, I think in our culture especially, there's this, sometimes this idea put out there of like this hippie Jesus or like this hippie God where he's for everybody. Like, well, like he's, he's loving God. Like, and I'm not saying that God's not loving. He loves all of us and we're all made in his image. I'm not saying that. But we gotta understand. We gotta face the facts that without the gospel, without salvation, without the free gift of salvation, it's not hunky-dory, wonderful, we're friends with God. The Bible tells us the exact opposite. And it makes sense if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the story. Like when, when, when Matt was preaching on this, we, we talked about Adam and Eve in the garden. And we got to understand that God gave Adam and Eve perfection, bliss, luxury. And he built them. He made mankind through Adam and Eve for the sole purpose of just walking with him in the garden. He just wanted relationship with man. Gives them everything we could ever desire. And then to repay him, Adam and Eve, as representation of all of us, decides, I know better than him. I don't need him. I have everything that I could ever need and want in me. So I'm going to decide for myself what I think is right and what I think is wrong. And I'm going to take of that fruit and disobey God. And he, in that one decision, they plunge all of humanity 
in a horrible, horrible, horrible condition called sin. Like literally, well not literally, but figuratively, they, they spit in the face of the God who created them for relationship with him. You think, why? What in the world? And in that moment, you gotta understand, when that happens, and we become, we, we create, we have this sin nature inside of us. Now, like, we, we literally become God's enemy. That's what Paul says in Romans. He says, while we were enemies of God. It's not just that he's sat with us, it's that literally, if, if there's two sides, God's side and Satan's side, we're over here now. We are enemies of God in this horrible, horrible circumstance. And if we're going to be real, what that means is if God decides in that moment, you know what? They disobeyed me. And so I'm just done with them. I'm gonna start over. Whatever, he, whatever. He's perfectly justified in doing so. But that was not his response. It's incredible. If you look, there's this plan from the very beginning of time that takes fruition with Jesus. This God who had his heart broken by his own creation, whom he created just for a relationship, and they spat in his face. Who sits on a throne, the Bible says, and night and day, it says that angels circle around him, singing holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. He descends from that throne. He says, I've got a plan. I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna fix their mess. And he comes to this planet and there's a man named Jesus Christ. He is born of a virgin. And he walks this planet perfectly. Perfectly fulfilling his purpose, never sinning nothing. And you would think that as humans, we'd be like, oh, God's here. Let's give him gifts. Let's give him a throne, make him king of the earth. Instead, we hang him on a cross and kill him. He suffocates on a cross. We bury him in the ground and a tomb and in the resurrection. And we gotta understand in that moment when he's on that cross, the whole purpose of that cross, the whole reason why he is here is he says, I'm gonna take all of my children. I'm gonna take every bit of their sin that separates them from me. I'm gonna take it onto myself. I'm gonna nail it to this cross and I'm gonna take it down to the ground and bury it where it, where it belongs. And in that one Act that huge, massive, sacrificial act. God kills death. There is death to death and sin, and He buries and He resurrects and He leaves it in the ground where it belongs. And He produces this opportunity of a free gift of salvation to where any of us, anyone who takes on the free gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ and makes Him Lord of their life can have an eternity in life, an eternal life that they did not buy on their own. See, because on that cross, Jesus swaps places with us. He says, I'm gonna take your, your damnation and I'm gonna trade it with you for righteousness that was not your own. And we gotta understand that that reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is this idea that the God of the universe who said, let there be light and light cracked across the sky, literally made a way for us to fix the mess that we made on our own. We jack everything up and he fixes it. And all we have to do is take his free gift, this gift of the gospel of 
peace. So that we're in this realm where we're enemies with God over here. Gospel transforms us into children. You know, I see how amazing that is. That's why he keeps going. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Think about that. We would never do that for each other. We were his enemy against him. And he says, I'm going to make a way. And through the cross... He makes peace with us for God that did not exist before. You understand that? There is hostility between man and God. Not just anger. It's not like they're just upset with one another. It's that they are opposed to one another. We are enemies. And through this gospel, he makes peace with us so that no longer, I'm not just upset, God's not just upset with me, that I go from being an enemy of his to his son. I'm no longer an enemy that gets to inherit all of the, the hate, all of the difficulties, all of the damnation, all of the difficult eternal resting place where I'll be, and I trade it. To be a child of God who gets to inherit all of the blessings and all the luxuries that come with being at peace with God. And it's that right there. It's that gospel of peace. This idea that I have peace with God they get to be my shoes that help me stand firm when, the, when Satan comes and tries to distract me away from my focus. You see, what that enables me to do, what that enables me to do is whenever he starts whispering in my ear and telling me a whole bunch of lies and trying to distract me, I get, to, I get to come back with him not just from what I'm saying but what God has already said. Because we've got to understand this battle This battle between Satan and God is not a battle at all. The battle's been won already. Jesus, when he dies on that cross and resurrects, our eternal fate is sealed. Satan is sealed. Like, he doesn't get to do anything. The battle has already been won. And so I get to stand firm on this gospel of peace. When he looks at me and he says, Clay, have you noticed all the mistakes that you've made today? Have you noticed how bad you've jacked up lately? And you're useless, man. I get to look at him and I'm like, you know what? I absolutely have messed up. But you don't get to tell me I'm useless. Because the God of the universe decided that I was worth dying for. When he, when he says, hey, hey, Clay, like, have you noticed, like, look at all these temptations. Look, 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 at, look, what, you could have, look what you could have. Just give it. Like, all, all I have to do is I'm standing firm on that gospel of peace where I go, you know what? You're 100% right. I do want that bad right over there. But if it ever Whatever luxuries, whatever, thing, whatever things I think would, would, this would produce for me over here are nothing compared to what comes with the incredible blessings of the gospel of peace that has already been given to me. 
Be gone with your temptations. I have no interest in them. And this, this is what Jesus is proclaiming to his people when he comes. This is what he proclaimed when he came. Is that there is a way to have fulfillment of life, to have joy, to have peace with God. This is what he preached. What comes to the bottom line this morning. Practice what he preached. Practice what he preached. Because here's, here's what this means for us. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know what, I am a child of God. I have, I have put my faith and my trust in Jesus. He is my all and all. He is my Lord and he is my master. What that means when you say that is that there has been this transformation in your life where you become a new creation. You have a new demeanor. And you are a different person. And there are different responsibilities for you now. I need a different drive in you now. So here's what's incredible about Jesus. When he comes, when, when Jesus comes to this planet, he gives us the opportunity to see what God is like in a physical form. Like, he is love. He is extremely loving. He's the greatest preacher. He is everything that you could ever imagine. But we have to understand that Jesus came to this planet for one specific purpose. It wasn't that he would to be an awesome preacher. It wasn't so that he could be an awesome leader. It wasn't so that he could do all of these incredible miracles. He did all of those things. It's incredible. But his sole purpose in doing all of that is so that he could come here for this gospel of peace. He would come to this planet to die on a cross for you and for me. And what that means is that if I take hold of that free gift of salvation. I believe that he died on the cross and rose from the, from the dead and I make him my Lord. That means that suddenly my life mission changes too, just like Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm gonna die on a cross. He did that once and for all. But what it does mean is that my focus and my mission in life changes and I'm going to practice what he preached. That means that my sole goal, my mission in life is to spread this gospel of peace to whoever will listen. I'm going to live it out in what I, I'm going to live it out in what I say and what I do. All, all, everything about me is going to be centrally focused on this gospel of peace. And what that does is if we stay focused on that message, that gospel of peace. When I wake up in the morning, morning, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, today, today I am going to spread the gospel. I am going to live out the gospel. I'm gonna live on mission for what Christ has done for me. It was so incredible for me that I want it to be incredible for others. I'm gonna live that out. If that's my focus, none of Satan's distractions bother me because I'm focused on the mission. I'm going to practice what he preached. You know, a couple years ago, I, I heard this heartbreaking story of this guy. His name is Rodney, and he, he owned like this huge Fortune 500 company, like super, super wealthy. And he was trying to give me advice, and he, he was telling me like, you know, you have a son, you have a wife. Make sure, whatever you do, make sure that you spend time with them. You give them your attention, that you're there for them. And then he starts telling me his story as to why he's telling me that. Because he says, you know, when my kids were growing up, I, you know, I had kids, I had a wife, and I had a good goal. I had a good purpose. So what I wanted to do is I was going to work really hard, build my company so that 
My kids could have all of the things that I never could have. I wanted them to be happy. I wanted them to have more. And he said, and it never dawned on me that what they needed and what they ultimately wanted was not all the things that I was providing them with my money, but they just wanted me. They just wanted time and attention from me. And, and I think this morning, that is a profound lesson to us, not just for your children. I'm not, that's not the point. The point is, is that I think so often we get distracted from this, this life, with the busyness of our culture, maybe even all of the good things with all the good intentions that you have in life. We get so distracted by it. Satan does such a good job at deceiving us. We get distracted by all of these things and we completely forget the main thing. We don't keep the main thing the main thing. And that is that we are here on this planet for the gospel. The gospel is just as simple as it could be that God is with us and he wants time with us. He created us to walk with him in the garden and he wants relationship with us now. And if we focus on that mission, we focus on what God has called us to do, we focus and practice what he preached that's the main thing. We keep the main thing the main thing. We don't neglect God. And all these other things in our life tend to just naturally fall into place because they flow out of the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God. I thank you for these people in this room right now. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to proclaim your message. That you would look at me and do what you've done in my life. And, and so, Lord, I just pray, God, that if, if there's any in this room right now, Lord, that they, they don't, they're not your child, that you would absolutely break their heart this morning with a realization that, you, that we're either your child or we're your enemy. There is no middle ground, Lord. And you would, you would impress upon their soul so much that you would show them that there's a way. And it's not that, that they try harder. It's not that they really do anything at all, Lord. It is that they, that they submit to your free gift of salvation. They look at your gospel of peace and so desperately want peace with you that they're willing to surrender what they have their whole entire life so that they can be in relationship with you and get the reconciliation that your gospel brings. So, Lord, those of us who are in this room, Lord, that are your children, that believe in your cross, believe in the forgiveness of your sins and that you rose from the dead, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would, 